What is up? Welcome back to the James Kennedy podcast. Man, do you know what? It actually feels weird saying that because I haven't said it in a few weeks. But look, I am back with a vengeance. The hiatus is over. We had a good run for the first year or two. It was every week just knocking him out. And then obviously life caught up. I had a book to write and all that jazz. And I had to park this bad boy up. But we are back, baby. And I've got some insane guests coming your way really, really shortly. Also, this podcast will soon be going to video. That's right, man. We're switching gears for 2024. We are going video on this thing. So watch this space because any episode now, we will be lifting off into video. But what have I been up to? I hear you scream. Nothing much other than book writing. (laughs) Still, still, oh my God. So, right, I wrote Noise Damage in like two months and a bit. You know, it was about two months pretty much and then a little bit of editing afterwards, right? But that book flew out of me. This book that I'm writing now, well, it was a bit different. I mean, I, I, I smashed like about four or five chapters out in 2021. Not long after Noise Damage went to number one, I got a book agent and all that sort of stuff. And I immediately set to work on book number two, you know, to keep the momentum going on that front. Because Noise Damage had more like success and traction than I ever imagined. Just the fact it got published was beyond my wildest dreams, to be honest. I didn't think anybody was ever going to read the damn thing. So, um, yeah, so I started immediately setting to work on book number two. Uh, like I say, smashed out a few chapters right off the heels of Noise Damage coming out in 2021, early 2021. And um, and then obviously life got in the way, you know, in, in, in not many good ways, in all honesty, for the next like year and a half, uh, which I've spoken about before. So we don't need to get into that now. But then I had like a publishing deadline at the end of 2023 to get this thing finished by. And I was ill for like most of last year, as you know. So um, I had to like squeeze the rest of this book in then into like the final few months of 2023. But I'm a different man now to what I was when I started writing this thing. And it's just a weird, a weird experience picking up a book that you started like over a year before, um, before like life went crazy on you and then just picking it up and carrying on as normal. I mean, that, that's just a fucking weird way to write a book. So the lesson I've learned is that next time I write a book, I will be smashing it out in two or three months, like I do with my albums, because I'm realizing that that's how I work. The last three or four albums I've done have all been completely written, recorded, mixed, mastered, everything ready to go within two or three months. That's going from having no songs, no words, no riffs, no nothing, to having a complete album master disc on your desk, two to three months. That's how I've written Make Anger Great Again, Home, um, Kashira Circle was written like that. That's that's my rhythm. So I feel like I can be very intense about something for a few months, and if it drifts on longer than that, then I just lose interest in the thing. So this book has been a struggle because there was that year and a half wedge between starting the thing excitedly and then coming back to it, kind of panicking, thinking, fuck, I got to finish this thing in like three months or something. So I would love to write more books. This one's been a struggle because of, yeah, like everything I've been through this past two years, like life stuff's been really, really heavy going, you know, um, and then obviously, you know, rushing to finish the thing, which was just pressure rather than enjoyment. So this one's been an interesting one. I'm really proud of how it's turned out. I can't wait for you guys to read it and share it with you all. Um, um, but I do want to write more books, but yeah, next time I do it, I will be like going off the radar for about two or three months, smashing the thing out in a blizzard of creative focus. And then I'll be getting back on with my life because this one's been a struggle. But that said, the mother is done. It'll be going off to the publishers now in the next two weeks when I give it one little final wax on and wax off. And then the jobs are good. So I'll have all my time back 
to focus on the podcast and James Kennedy and the underdogs who've got loads and loads of stuff coming up this year. New material, lots of gigs and videos and lots and lots more. Watch this space. But the podcast is back and I just can't wait to, to jump back into these conversations with super awesome minds and super talented people. I love having these conversations. I hope you enjoy listening to them as well. So I'm excited to be back in the podcast seat. Now, speaking of super awesome and talented people, I have got one very such specimen for you today. Joining us from Nashville, the insanely talented, annoyingly so, annoyingly multi-talented, I would say, musician, singer, songwriter, and visual artist as well, Hannah Wickland, whose brand new album, The Prize, is out this very Friday, the 12th, available to pre-order now. I've had a sneak preview of it, and it is absolutely fucking brilliant, as was her previous EP, Hell in the Hallway, which I absolutely love. She is so talented, but she has been grinding this circuit now for years and years and years. She's been doing it the old punk rock way in a transit van, going back and forth across America, paying her dues, earning her stripes, and man, she is flying right now. She is crushing it, and, and rightfully so. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And she joins us here today to talk about the music industry, her amazing career, a new album, art, the creative process, everything that's coming up, and loads more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'll be dropping a link to Hannah's new album and her Spotify page. We can hear her previous releases as well in the show notes. Please, please, please check it out. Turn it up loud and you can thank me later. Okay, let's get down to business and welcome on to the show from Nashville. The incredible, the awesome, the lovely, the talented, the brilliant Hannah Wickland. Hannah, how you doing, man? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm good, thank you, man. I must say I am loving that setting that the listeners can't see right now, but there is a vast discrepancy in our comfort levels right now. Hannah is sitting in what looks like a lovely, sunny Nashville afternoon, You're very creative and chill. You've got plants and guitars everywhere and art and stuff. And yeah, it looks very, very cool and cozy there, man. Whereas I'm freezing my ass off in a podcast studio in South Wales where it's currently raining and gray and sleety and cold and drab so um i'm a little bit envious a little bit different well i was recently in uh, I, I was in the uk and and uh while it is kind of gloomy and kind of rainy over there right now it is still so beautiful so i i feel for you but i also i really love spending time over there so i don't feel too bad for you <laughs> <laughs> Great recovery, man. I love that balance there. Um, yeah, well, you're actually coming back over here, aren't you? Next jerk. And yeah, and I noticed that you're playing my hometown uh, favorite venue of the Globe in oh, Cardiff, where nice. I actually played with my own band just a few months back. So we're going to get into all that stuff and let everybody know what you've got coming up. But to start with, could you give us the brief introduction to Hannah Wickland, who you are, where you're from, your journey, how you got here, and what's going on? Well, let's see. I, uh, I'm born and raised on a small island called Hilton Head Island uh, off the coast of South Carolina. And I was born into a massively creative family. My mom's an artist and my dad, uh, a musician, not by trade. He's a, a painting contractor. He paints people's houses, but um, and he's really good at it. Um, but he was a drummer for like the first like homegrown rock band on Hilton Head. And they, they used to play out, um, you know, like they were the band on the island. And so, um, you know, I have an older brother and an older sister who are both, uh, quite creative people as well. And, um, yeah, so I was really fortunate to be really supported at a young age to, 
follow my dreams, whatever they were and uh, music or otherwise. And, and I definitely found myself, um, you know, flocking to music. I started playing piano when I was three and I started uh, playing guitar at eight and I started my band like six months after I started playing guitar. Wow. And so it's, it was, uh, it was a quick decision that I knew I wanted to play rock and roll, um, be like my older brother and like my dad. And um, yeah. And Hilton Head was such a tourist driven place that there was ample opportunity to play and develop my talent when I was young. So that whole phrase, you know, the 10,000 hours thing, I, I, abide by and believe in. And, um, yeah, by the time I was 16, I graduated high school a couple years early and I hit the road as a youngin. And I've been, um, you know, I've, I've been through the ringer when it comes to the music business. I've kind of been, uh, uh, in all different types of rooms and meetings and all of that kind of stuff. And I have found myself coming out the other side, um, self-managing, self-releasing, kind of carving my own path at this point. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the nicely wrapped up version, but, um, but yeah. Love it. Rock Love and it. Roller. Love it. Well, that's the nicely wrapped version. And now we're going to fucking pull it wide open and dive into the nitty gritty because right. exactly like you said, you know, you've seen this industry now from all sides. You know, you've been in the boardrooms, you, you've seen the highs, you've seen the lows and you've been kicking it a long time man, and kicking ass as well. Um, but I don't think people fully appreciate when they look at someone where you're like where you're at right now crushing it you know fucking touring half the world next year you know you played Wembley last year you know you're you're fucking flying right now dude but people don't realize the journey they see the tip of the iceberg it's that whole thing you know they see the tip of the iceberg and they don't realize all the shit that you had to go through to get there people don't see that stuff so i'd like to dive into some of that stuff if you don't mind because i think it's really healthy for other musicians on their way up to realize what people like yourself have had to go through to get to where you are you know yeah you know i think that this this business is quite full of uh the smoke and mirrors and and I think even when you're being authentic, which I've, I've just now kind of rounded the corner of um, where I'm really ready to discuss the actual business side of what I've been going through. Because, you know, when I was 18 um, and started taking like really serious big time meetings with people in the industry, um, you know, that perception and what the people that you're meeting with want you to think is like that you can't do it without them. And that, um, you know, it's kind of like a, it's like once you, it's like leveling up. It's like, yeah, everybody wants a manager. Like everybody wants to have a team for them. Everybody wants to be signed to a label, right? Like that's what we're all kind of told is the way to go about things. So, um, you know, I've found, I've had a lot of like weird weird things happen. I've worked with some not so awesome people and my radar's been off before. And, um, you know, there's lots of different things that can lead to the ending of a business relationship, but I have found a lot of those. Um, and, you know, I think that coming out the other side and making the decision to, um, self-manage and to just not even entertain. Like that's the best part about where I'm at now is that I'm not doing flagrant. I'm not taking flagrant meetings. I'm not just having coffee with whomever. I'm not letting 
uh, all these different people give me their opinion on my music, which is something that happens so rampantly from the age of like 18 to 21, is that all these people's opinions were going through my mind and um and there was no boundary around who I was meeting with it was just kind of taking take take any meeting you know take all of them and um I think that now I've got my head screwed on in a different way to where I'm I'm not really phased by the name dropping at this point I'm not really phased by um the dangling carrots so to speak and I'm more moved by action and um follow through and that's what there is very little of in this industry so um yeah so it's so i'm i'm very i you know it kind of it took a second to not feel you know almost embarrassed that i was self-managing and like to to wear it as a badge of honor as opposed to being something that i kind of skirted around because you know the 18 19 year old version of myself um, did not expect to be, you know, self-managing and doing the things that I am doing, um, you know, at this point. So it's a little bit of like shaking off my own judgment from when I was young um, of myself now and being like, no, it's actually way cooler and way more rock and roll to decide that um, I'm going to do this the more untraditional way, which actually, if you look at a lot of the most badass women, um, I think us ladies have had to carve out our own path more often um, than not. And I think that, um, you know, like Ani DeFranco and Joan Jett, uh, those are two women that have, you know, built their own labels. And when they were kind of you know, facing adversity in, in the business side of things, they took matters into their own hands. And um, that's basically what I've done now with getting my, you know, new label together. And I'm working with new partners, but I am very much the boss of uh, Strawberry Moon Records and uh, the boss of Hannah Wickland. So uh, it feels good to be in my newly claimed position. That's fucking awesome. Dude, fucking round of applause to you, dude, because like that is a serious amount of work, that serious commitment and belief in what you do and not letting the experiences of, of old sort of trip you up and tarnish your, your your belief and your passion and your energy for this thing and to just keep on trucking, doing your own thing with you behind the wheel. That's amazing. And look at you go. You know, I mean, like you're soaring harder and higher than ever before, man. And, and, and it's, you're in full control. So like I said, you should totally and definitely wear that as a badge of honor rather than anything, anything else. And you're in control, you know, seriously impressive, man. Super awesome. And I noticed that, um, when I was getting the links and everything for the, uh, the show notes, I noticed that the, the release says that it's out by Flat Iron Records. So I'm just assuming then that you're, you have a licensing deal with those guys for distribution. Is that the, is that the way you're doing it? Yeah. So they're, they're now kind of like the, the big umbrella. Um, and I've basically created an imprint for Strawberry Moon Records underneath them. So while Strawberry Moon Records is home to just my music right now, I think uh, I think hopefully in the future there's a place to add some add some other people to that roster. So um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a developing relationship, but uh, I feel very fortunate to 
you know, have people believe in not only my music, but also believe in me as a business woman, um, which is the biggest thing that I have found with these new people that I'm working with is that I'm respected on a totally different level than um, every other person that I've worked with, mostly being management. Um, I think that, you know, I think management is a very fickle thing for artists. I think if you find the right one and you find the right person that is a really good flow, then that's amazing. But I think a lot of times when you're young finding that stuff, it's very hard to be respected in the business realm um, by those people. I think that that's where like the steamrolling comes in and where like some of the manipulation and things like that kind of are extra heavy is when people are young and don't know much about the business yet. So, um, so yeah, it feels, it feels nice to be, to be growing my, my business side. Yeah, man. Alongside my business side. So. That's awesome. So, okay. So you got the label, which is your label. So you're in control. Mm-hmm. You've, pull the strings you call the shots but you've got guys that help you put it out that's that's cool mm-hmm. yeah. um no manager nope uh, you must have a booking agent though surely oh i've got the best agents yeah i'm with i'm with uta um and i've i've been with uh i've been with my agents since pre-covid and um yeah they're they're amazing joel feld and beth morton i've got a u.s and then a rest of world um so yeah, the, the agent side is very important. I I did book my own shows when I was young. Um, you know, like I pretty much took over the like I started playing out shows when I was nine um, and started getting paid around that age. And uh, my dad handled the phone calls up until I was 12 years old. And then I took over all of the phone calls for all of the shows. I was the person if you wanted to book the stepping stones, you had to talk to little Hannah um, and we were booked we were we were heavily booked for for being any band let alone like you know kid band um i really despised that term but uh but yeah and then so i was i was kind of naturally doing everything i was running our website and running our socials and doing all of that and going to school um and so then when i graduated at 16 i uh, part of me graduating so early was because i knew knew i wanted to go on the road i already knew what my life path um was going to be, you know, grand scheme. And so I pretty much at, at 16, me and my drummer went out on a, uh, on like a little road trip for like two and a half weeks around the Southeast and Northeast. And I went into every single club, every single venue that I could find that had, you know, that I could find on Google. And I went in there with a CD and, asked them to pass it along to whoever booked the the venue. Um, I was luck, lucky enough to meet a couple of the people that booked the shows. And so actually the, the venue that we're, we're playing and the show that we're playing in Atlanta on my Hell in the Hallway tour next year, um, the promoter, Joel Grobe, I've known for 10 years because I was 16 and went into the Hard Rock Cafe and he was working. I gave him a CD and he's the person that gave me my first ever ticketed, legitimate rock and roll show. Um, when I was like 17 or 18, we played in Atlanta. But uh, up until that point, though, I was like emailing. Oh, God, I would email like a hundred different places to get a response from five maybe. And then we'd probably land like one show. Um, and it was extra hard getting people to book a 16 and 18 year old filled band, but I did it. 
And, uh, and I played my own agent, which is what landed me when I was 18. I got my first agent and that was like the first real piece of the puzzle of my like team that I had ever really put into place was an agent. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would never, I would never, ever, ever do that myself again, though. I love having, <laughs> love having a good agent. <laughs> oh yeah. Hell yeah. I think that's like, um, my journey is very similar to yours, but you, you've been kicking ass way more than I, than I ever did. Um, no. but it was always like a very similar, I mean, my situation now is the same as yours. I run my own label. Um, in fact, my whole back catalog has been put out through my, my own label. I started doing that about 10 years ago, I think, because I was just fed up at getting fucked over by people. The first deal I had, I had to take them to court because they ran off with all of our money. And then the guy went to jail for shooting somebody and all, all sorts of bullshit. So I just set up my own label, put out a bunch of albums myself. I now, I'm, I've got my own publishing company, which is sub published by Cobalt. So I do a similar umbrella sort of deal to what you've got going on as well. Um, and management. Yeah. I've, I've always self-managed. I've had managers. And again, one of them ended up with a court case. Um, the other one ah, was just yeah. disappeared off the face of the earth. I'm sure you've, you've experienced some of these, uh, lovely characters yourself, but a booking oh. agent, you've got to, uh, like it, they are yeah. like, essential you've got to have a good booking agent that's going to book you the right scale for where you are and it sounds like you've got the right package there man you know i feel very very grateful i have finally uh in the last six months really felt very secure when it comes to my career which i've never felt since i you know since i was like 15 um and that wasn't really quite a career that was me playing gigs you know like so in terms of in terms of where i'm at now now, I certainly feel like I have landed um, at, at the right formula for myself right now. And, and who knows, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll hand over like management at some point, eh, but I'm not really, I don't really think that's, I don't really think that's the way things are going to go. I think I just need a good, you know, we call it, you know, the day-to-day manager, like basically, you know, somebody to just keep all the ducks in a row and make sure that your schedule is set and, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. That kind of person is, is very important. And I'm lucky to have that. Um, but it's there. I think that whole saying too many cooks in the kitchen is really true. And especially if it sounds like you're the same kind of artist as I am, which is that I've, I've got a very solid, view of what I want my career to be. And for me, my career includes not just music. I've also got the art side of my career, which now I've been able to tie into my music with my new record, The Prize. Um, But I also have, you know, I have other aspirations. When I was a child, I did musical theater and I've, you know, been, I've had some people reach out to me about auditioning for, you know, TV film. And so I've actually started like, you know, seeking out some auditions too and and kind of reconnecting with that side which who knows that's a mix that's like a toss-up of whether you'll actually ever land anything but um but yeah i mean i think it's i think it's really helpful if you're a very aspirational person to you know have a good sense of direction on your on your own first so even if you do you are somebody who wants a manager you do end up adding that person in you know exactly what you want because that was what my biggest mistake was with my first uh my first manager for sure is that i didn't really have a, a strong sense of exactly where i wanted to go next and um 
that meant I went nowhere <laughs> with the person that I was with. So yeah, it, it's ironic. And in, in hindsight, in my career, the the times I've had the least going on and when I've been the least busy, busy has been when I've had a manager. So Oh, that's crazy, man. And I hear that so much from fellow artists. Um, I mean, <laughs> this conversation has already taken a massive left turn from where I was initially uh-huh. going to take it. We are going to talk about the album, I promise. We are going to talk about the tour and the artwork and all that sort of stuff. But I'm really interested. I'm interested in where this is going. So I think this is super useful for other people to hear, especially up and musicians, because people don't have any idea what, what it takes to just fucking last two minutes in this game. And I think especially in the age of social media, like musicians are constantly, you know, we compare ourselves to other people. We're thinking, oh, they're, they're fucking doing this and they're doing that. Why can't I catch a break? I'm working hard. I'm talented. And they, and they think that it's just them that's having those struggles in those moments. But you've been through them and now you're fucking slaying it, you know, higher and better and ha- harder than ever before. So I think you're a great example of hope to many musicians who are going through the experiences that you had early on in your career that like, hey, look, I've been through that. It wasn't the end for me. I learned from it. You know, I got my my, my lessons and my scars, you know, and here I am now fucking smashing my own path. You know what I mean? So I'd love to just talk a bit more about those early experiences, if you don't mind, because I know for so many people, you know, they feel like their career trajectory kind of, especially when you start getting these guys on board at the early stages, it kind of goes up and it goes up and it goes up. And then all of a sudden it kind of plateaus out and then either (laughs) falls through the floor and never recovers again, or it just kind of stays where it is and fizzles out. So I'm interested in how you went through all that and then came out swinging as you are now. You know, it's really hard for me to think of my story in that like linear or like it, you know, went up and then plateaued because in my mind, it's just been a complete roller coaster the entire time. Like, um, you know, and I could take you through step by step exactly what kind of happened. But the the quick version um, and the more, you know, the 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 less uh the less painful version is, you know, I had when I was 18, I started working with a, a booking agent. I was meeting with um, Scooter Braun was technically my first ever, my very first ever meeting ever, like three days after I turned 18. He flew me out to L.A., offered me an artist development deal. Um, I was not ready to be Hannah Wickland at that point. I had my band, The Stepping Stones, and um, and I basically just never called him again. Um, And I kept going down, you know, my work harder, uh, not smarter path in some ways. Um, And I got my first agent like a month or two after that meeting. And that agent, um, you know, he was very, he he worked really hard for me. Um, But he had outside aspirations of doing more than just being my agent. Um, I think that he was basically like managing me um, without it being that blunt. And he was basically like, in my mind, the way I see things is kind of like fended off managers and kind of dissuaded me from pursuing any management for about two years. Um, And that whole time kind of had me, I was 18, 19, and I was opening up for like Marshall Tucker and the Outlaws and um, Kansas and Jefferson Airplane and like all of these awesome 
acts that I listened to growing up and I covered some of and I loved. So at 18, 19, my eyes were like wide open and like, oh my God, this is so... But I woke up, you know, a year and a half, two years later, and like I had literally not met one artist my own age. I hadn't done any touring with any current artist. I had almost become this like relic act opener. Like that was almost like, and and we were building me as a headliner too, but I just kind of got stuck in this like classic rock loop. And, um, and then it was, you know, then I got my, my first manager who came on board and kind of saw, and there were some other weird things that were kind of going on inside of like the agent relationship. And so very quickly, um, that manager got rid of the agent and kind of opened my eyes to, Hey, the last like two and a half years, this is what's been actually kind of going on. And then I was able to, and then, and then all of a sudden my perspective went through a huge, huge shift where I saw the industry in a totally different light. Um, and you know, that was kind of the first, that was kind of the first scar. Um, and then since then there, there've been many more, but I would just say, I would just say that the path has been very up and down and, um, I've got lots, lots and lots of stories to share and, and a good transition to bring us into talking about the record and, and about my tour is the tour that I'm doing is called Hell in the Hallway. And it is the first track off of my new record, which I wrote. Uh, I wrote Hell in the Hallway back in, tw- was it 2018, 2019, I believe. I wrote it in 2019, January of 2019, um, a few days after I fired my first manager. Um, and the song, the rattlesnake, rattlesnake, who do you speak of? This, the snake is very much, um, you know, representative of those music business men. Love it. Um, and so, yeah, like my guitar maker, Anderson, Anderson Guitars, there was a woman uh, who works there, Rachel. And I talked to her on the phone and I told her, you know, I needed something or whatever. And I called and she was like, oh, thank God. He was such an asshole when I told her that I wasn't working with that manager anymore. And I was like, well, thanks for telling me, you know. But um, <laughs> everybody tells you what they think of who you're working with. Afterwards. After. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. guys, tell me this. It's like, it's like your friend dating some really shitty dude. And then you finally, have and yeah. they're like, oh, thank God. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? Um, <laughs> but anyways, she, she told me, she was like, you know, cause I was really unsure of what was going on in my career. Cause now I didn't have an agent cause he had fired my agent. And I didn't have a manager and I just dropped Hannah Wicklin and the Stepping Stones. And so Bomb Through the Breeze was getting placed like crazy. And all of a sudden I didn't have a tour. I didn't have a team. Oh, fuck. It was, you know, and so my, my lovely, uh, my lovely lady, Rachel at Anderson says, well, you know, my mom always used to say when one door closes, another one opens, but there's always hell in the hallway. Oh, and nice. And I go, can I use that for a song? She said, yes, as long as you say thank, you know, just just thank my mom. So thank you, Rachel's mom. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So so the prize is really like that record is pretty much the summation of the 19 to 21 year old version of me and, and all of like the things that I went through. And it's it's a portrayal of not only, you know, relationship relationships ending it's a portrayal of music business relationships or just business relationships expiring and and you know kind of what comes with that 
Um, and then it's also, you know, it touches on, you know, the relationship you have with yourself or the relationship I had with myself um, in the title track, the prize. So, so yeah, there's, there's our, our, our good little uh, bridge interlude into, uh, love into it. the other stuff. Yeah. Love it. And I love that segue as well. Very professionally done, dude. You've clearly done this before. <laughs> um, because yeah, let's talk about the new record. I want to give a shout Thank out you. first to Hell in the Hallway, which you just mentioned, because I absolutely love that EP. It's fucking brilliant, dude. And I think it sets the listener up perfectly for uh, the new record, The Price, because four of the tracks from the EP are on the album and the whole album as an entirety is just fucking genius. Honestly, it's all killer, no filler, you know, and I it's got that. it's got everything on there, man. It's got the rock and roll guitar, it's got your voice, it's got the songwriting, it's got great musicianship, it's got it's got a great vibe, it's got emotion. It's, it's the whole fucking ride, man, and I, I just Thank love it. You. And I wanted to talk to you because there's so much in your sound there's so many different sounds and influences i can hear but i wanted to know yeah. I, want, I wanted to ask you directly you know who are your influences you know are you are you kind of aware of who they are because i know when you've been doing this a while like we have you know and you're caught up in the middle of the process you're oftentimes not aware but who, who would you say are your sort of direct um inspirations and influences in your sound hmm you know i've never really i've never really thought about it um, as like listening to my music and trying to hear what I hear, um, which I think is more what you're asking, which I've, I've never done. Um, so maybe I'll try that. I'll try listening and thinking about what I hear, but I know just based on me as a human, um, the stuff that inspires me is, uh, I mean, it's, it's a quite broad range. Cause I've, I always consider myself a terrible music fan because I don't, I don't necessarily like nosedive into anybody and like growing up as a guitar player, like loved Jimi Hendrix, but I did not go and watch a million Jimi Hendrix YouTube videos and I didn't listen to Jimi Hendrix's full catalog. So um, I was influenced heavily by a lot of people um, and I'm more of like a sponge. Like I having my older brother and my older sister and my dad who all love music um, you know, I I like being a fly on the wall and having everybody else put on the music and just kind of absorbing it. So I'd say like my range of inspiration, especially now that I like really think about it, because when I was younger, 18, 19, doing interviews, I was saying Jimi Hendrix and Lindsey Buckingham. I was just like in this like one like lane. But um, Etta James, Sheryl Crow, uh, Jeff Buckley, Tom Petty, um Neil Young, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, um, a lot of the classic rock stuff touched, you know, touched my brain growing up. So that's the obvious stuff. But um, when it comes to like newfound inspiration and, and one of the big ones for the prize, ironically, you know, I'd finished writing this whole record in 2019 um, and in 2000, I guess it was 2020, I heard Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters Oof. record, which oh, yeah. my brother was the one that was like, you should listen to this. And I fell in love with that record. I think that was like the, the most exciting album I had heard in my adulthood because um, all of a sudden 
like these songs were just so like, yes, they're songs. And once you listen to them many times, I like hear them as like songs, but they were just, they felt really abstract to me. And I, I really enjoyed the way it was recorded. And um, so Fetch the Bolt Cutters was actually the record that like made me get the ball rolling on starting the recording of the prize because it was, you know, I think she had like self-produced or co-produced. And I think she did a lot of that record like in her house, which is where you can like hear her dogs barking. And you actually, my dogs are on hell in the hallway too. So I, I took that little nod, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's quite a, a, a wide range of stuff. But. Mm. I can, well, I can hear Jeff Buckley for definite. Um, I was, I was hearing as well some Anna Calvi. I was hearing some Nothing But Thieves, a little bit Hailstorm. I mean, you had not mentioned any of those bands, but no, so it's I'm interesting really, what other people uh, hear in it, in it, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, and I've, I'm known of Hailstorm, and I think that, gosh, Lizzie Hale is such a badass. Um, I think that that music is a little bit more on, like, the rock side of things, which I, I very intentionally call myself rock and roll because I think that, uh, rock is is too harsh of a category for for me to live in but like tom petty like i consider tom mm. petty to be the ultimate like rock and roll you know kind of artist yeah. where he's writing songs but there's still guitar solos and it's you know the lyrics mean something and um yeah well tom petty is a badass isn't he and, and fiona apple as well i absolutely adore i fucking love her music so i think that's that's the beautiful thing about music is that like everyone can hear something different in it can't they i mean you you make what you make and it comes from where it comes from within you and then as soon as you put it out to the world everyone kind of has their own interpretation of it it kind of becomes their song then and it can it becomes their baby then you know and i think that's the beautiful thing about it and i wanted to talk to them you've already mentioned like um you know uh, some of how you recorded the record you, you know talk about having your dogs and everything in the background i'd love to delve more into that into the into the process then of how you put the record together the writing um the recording process what, what what was the um what was the journey well i i uh i pretty much started writing this record in my parents house um i was i was transient for about three years where i was just kind of like i lived in la for a while but all of my stuff was in a storage unit in nashville for a period of time and so i had just gotten done with like a lot like a massive like seven eight months of nonstop touring and i went back to my parents house and um i was there for like a month and i that was where like a lot of the foundation of like i'd say more than half the record was kind of started and um and then i went to a little cabin that uh, my grandparents had built up in the poconos um which it was the last time i got to be there because we sold it like and i was so heartbroken i i was really hoping to to be able to like go up there with my kids one day, you know, but, um, but I ended up finishing a lot of most of the album, um, in that little cabin, I just kind of went there and, and didn't see anybody and just hold up for, for a while. Um, but then I think, yeah, I went back out to LA for a little bit and, and that was where, um, Hell in the Hallway was a co-write with Stevie Iello. Iello. I, I need to really know how to say his last name, but, um, <laughs> he's the guitar player for 30 Seconds to Mars. And so we did, right. we did that co-write and, um, and Hell in the Hallway was, you know, it was one of the more like, in my mind, like a little bit more of like an obvious single. And so I think once that song was written, I feel like the, 
a lot of the the record had taken shape. But two of the songs that I that I really loved, um, Witness, I had started writing at my parents. And so that song was kind of marinating for a while. But I actually went on this um, this cruise, this uh, <laughs> what was it? The Chris Jericho wrestling cruise. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I promise this will come full circle. It's really weird right now, but (laughs) I was in January of 2019. I did a thing called uh, the Rock Boat, and it's like you know, like a music festival on a cruise ship. And the the promoters um, did this thing where they would get uh, every year they would get a couple of the writers from. some of the bands playing on the rock boat together on a different cruise, like four or five months earlier to write and record an album together. So people you'd never met, you go and you write and record an album in a makeshift studio on a cruise ship in three days. And it just was too weird and wacky of an opportunity to not say yes to. So I, I went on and, um, it was the first ever wrestling cruise. So everybody walking around the boat was like making history, <laughs> making history. And it, they had, they had turned the, like the swimming pool on the top floor of the cruise ship into a, a ring. And like we, all of like our meals and everything, you know, that we ate were with all of the wrestlers. So like I befriended wow. all of these, like really, you know, like intense, the nicest, sweetest guys um, and gals. And, uh, but basically um, we just spent the days writing and, and recording. And one of the songs that I wrote with, if uh, a really, really awesome dude named Nick Talbot of the Talbot Brothers, we co-wrote uh, the song Lost Love together on the Chris Jericho cruise ship. And um, wow. it was like this, this hilarious, just like super top. It was like a top secret project we were doing. So like nobody else on the boat knew, knew what we were doing other than like the 15 of us that were involved. And um it was just so much fun. So yeah, that's like a fun little tidbit about the writing uh, part of the prize. But um, I would never have thought that that song was written on a wrestling cruise ship. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was a, a very. I'll just say hilarious. It was a very hilarious moment yeah. um, in my life, and I came away having a deep appreciation for wrestling with those guys. Right. Right. What they do is is pretty cool. They're putting on a show and um, very dramatic, very uh, coordinated. But um, but yeah, that was fun. And they had this really cool instrument. Um, Siegel, the company, makes a little like troubadourian style instrument called the Merlin, um, basically a dulcimer. And uh, and I picked it up and lost love. We wrote it within like. 45 minutes or an hour. Cause I, it was wow. the very first time I played that instrument, I started playing what turned into the lost love riff that you kind of hear. So there's like that kind of weird acoustic instrument in there and, and that's what it was. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love it when that happens, man. Is that something that you do as a songwriting trick consciously? Uh, because I know as a, someone who's been playing guitar now for like <laughs> too many decades, like when I, when I put my hand on the neck, like my fingers kind of go to familiar places and I have 
have to consciously kind of do shit to stop falling into old habits. So like playing an instrument that you know nothing about, really, it's kind of like unexplored foreign territory can often lead to coming up with new and interesting shit because you're not following that muscle memory. Is that something that you do as a songwriter or was it just like a happy accident on that one time that kind of <laughs> led to at the absolute gold of that song? I I think moving I think moving through my life as a songwriter it's a trick that I'm going to take advantage of more often which is trying to write and challenging myself to write on uh different instruments outside of just piano and guitar. Um but I will say I just bought here I'll show you even though I know this is a podcast but um I just bought this. I can see it. That's all that matters. 1920s <laughs> parlor guitar. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's by Herwin. No, it, it was for Herwin. I'm still getting the story on it, but um, basically it's like a gypsy guitar. And so and there's like one small like difference that I noticed that has made an, a, an effect on my playing, which is that it's instead of the... Uh, Instead of the ninth fret being marked, the tenth fret is marked. Huh. So I haven't right. I haven't in drop D and and I'm just kind of like <laughs> Of course. Yeah, it, you all, you've gotta have one. <laughs> um but it's it's funny how just having like the markings be a little bit different. Uh makes you play guitar a little bit different. So Oh one hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. Like I, I started experimenting for a while with the um, one of the Jimmy Page tunings um, and I brought a bunch of songs because I just didn't know what the hell I was playing. You know, you play standard chords and it sounds like complete shit. You have to like just like follow your ear you know, more than following your, your, your muscle memory, you know? So yeah, I definitely think experiment with tunings is uh, is a useful thing for me as a guitar player anyway. And uh, and drop D, you know, any any excuse to tune down to drop D is a good, is a good one. So <laughs> yeah, that guitar looks fucking sick, man. What we we got to move on to talking about the tour because this is a big one, dude. Like you're pretty much touring the entire of 2024. You know, you're doing um, the whole of the US pretty much between February and April. And then you come into the UK and even Europe for some more dates as well. And as I mentioned earlier, you're playing uh, one of my favorite local venues just around the corner from from where I live. Um, the Globe in Cardiff, where I played with my own band just a few months ago. It's a great venue. So I'll come along to that one. But yeah, I mean, like this is a colossal tour dude i mean you excited yeah it's a it's a lengthy one but it is time i am overdue for a nice healthy headline tour so um it's a lot of dates but i it's i think i've played i'm pretty sure i played with with the exception of maybe a few of those uk dates all of these places before. So it's essentially me like making a return and, and saying hello and introducing, um, you know, everybody that I've seen and met throughout the years to the world of the prize. And uh, I think it's going to be the most fulfilling tour that I've ever done because up to this point, I've, you know, I've done a, a lot of touring, a lot of touring, but this tour has a totally different purpose. Um, you know, of course I am promoting the prize, but this is also really like the full circle moment of me embracing that, you know, my world and my career is more than just music. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to have special, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the art into the, the show and, and, and trying to do a few 
things um, to to honor the the paintings and the designs and all of that kind of stuff that I've been doing um, over this time as well. So so it's going to be cool. It's going to be a, a a neat culmination of of all of my shit. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Well, I was going to talk about the art book as well because that's badass as well. This is why I said at the intro, you're like annoyingly multi-talented. You know, oh. <laughs> so, so much of a struggle to be good at one thing, and you're good at like five at the same time. You know, it's a pain in the yeah. ass. Um, <laughs> but so, what's what's your touring package like? Because as as a as an artist that's essentially independent, right? You're self-managing. I'm guessing you're doing your own budgeting and stuff like that. How do you tour on a scale like that? Let's just focus on the on the US. I mean, that's a massive landmass. Are you doing transit van, sharing the driving guys in the back sort of thing? Or or have you figured out a way to make this doable at, 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 at an independent level? No, I am I am holding strong in my uh my sprinter van. I have been touring out of my uh at least it's a Mercedes. Um <laughs> but I have been touring out of uh the same van since I was eighteen. Um wow. yeah so this van has been very good to me. Has taken me across this country and through Canada many times. Um but we are in a van uh, I'm really hoping that we don't have to bring a trailer next year, to be honest. Um, I think we're going to be able to make it all fit. But yeah, we'll have a, a tour manager and um, me and the guys and the band. And then uh, I'm trying to work it out right now. I think the next key player uh, to add into my touring um, regime would be a killer front of house guy. So or girl. So I am uh, I'm. Not positive yet, but uh, it sure would be nice to have for this tour. So we'll see. You're clearly not someone that suffers obstacles for too long, dude. So I'm sure you're going to have that uh, killer front of house dude before too long. And it's interesting. I, I love the fact that you, 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 you've done everything you've done in one van. I mean, I need to know where you bought that van for a start because mine fucking used to break down every, every two minutes. Um, but I have a load of industry veterans on the, uh, on the podcast and they all talk about, you know, the road to success and, 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 and the best way to, to set yourself up for long-term success and everything like that. And the one thing that they all say, and they all say this same thing is get in a van get in a car and just get out there play some fucking shows knock some fucking doors make some calls turn up kick some asses you know you start playing at one person then you then you play to 10 people and you just keep on fucking doing it and you're you are you are proof you are proof that what they're saying is the tried and tested way that this works this is the rock and roll model this is the diy rock and roll model you get in a fucking van and you just turn up and play some shows you know and you are the living proof that that model still, after all this time in the digital era when things are so different now, is still the way to get it done. And in the same van. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it is uh, that, that saying, if you want something done right, do it yourself, is making more and more sense to me as I get older. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, you that is pretty much when people ask me for advice or or, you know, yeah, or asking me for advice, I pretty much say a very similar thing, which is to just get out there to say yeah at the beginning, say yes. Like at the beginning, you have to learn your, you got, you're going to have to learn things the hard way. You're going to have to learn what you do want to do, what you don't want to do. But the only way by really learning is doing it. Um, um, so yeah. And, and I'd say relationships, you know, like, like be nice and 
say hello and talk to people. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that has saved me throughout this process is, you know, when you work with the manager, you work with a different agent and you work with different people, you know, you're kind of getting introduced to their world and it's business. Everybody knows, you know, you're not necessarily going to stick with the same people forever, but, um, you know, like, like staying in touch with people that you meet along the way. Like I'm a very, I'm, I'm a big fan of staying in touch with people with, um, you know, just calling just to see how people are doing, you know, like working on the relationship side, because it's a mutually beneficial thing, um, to be thought of, you know, to think of other people to be thought of. And, um, so yeah, so, so also just, just try and try and be as gregarious as you can, I'd say too. Well, people just need to follow your example, man, because, yeah, you are doing it, bro. And, like, you know, long may you continue to do so as well. I'm going to enjoy watching the rest of your journey because I think you've set yourself up for success. Um, just, you, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You've got a good thing going. Please don't let any more douchebags into the mix. <laughs> I think you're just going to keep on flying. No more douchebags. Amen. I'm getting that out of a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to be all right, man. Well, we got to talk about the artwork as well because you, you as you mentioned earlier you you're a painter as well so you actually painted the amazing artwork that people can see on the cover of the prize um that's you right yeah that, that's all me i uh i one of the one of the beautiful things in a, in a parallel universe this record would have been released early last year um so it'll be almost two years behind where i had initially uh planned for and imagined the prize dropping um which believe it or not was extremely painful, this process of getting this record out. Um, and so the art was really born out of a place of me not wanting to give up on this music yet because I just was having a really tough time getting this music released and finding a home for this record, which is why me building my label was exciting, but also extremely necessary. And so, um, you know, by having my hands tied, I, again, we got all those men in suits, you know, we got all those, those suits to thank for me, uh, for my shit kind of stagnating there for a while. Um, but if it hadn't, and if I hadn't had my hands tied and I wasn't able to tour or I was able to tour there for a year, I literally wasn't able to tour for a period of time. Um, I wouldn't have done all this art and I basically evolved this world and built this visual side around these songs to further prove maybe even just to myself, like how much they mean to me and how important this music is to me. And so um, when nobody was believing in it, I doubled down and decided to not only write the music, but do a massive art project to go along with it. And it also like, that's what kept me sane. And that's what kept me, you know, focused and on track because I could not write music. I could not write another song until I knew how this music was being released. Um, so instead of having my creativity flow through my music for about two years, it's been flowing through my art instead. So uh, I'm very grateful to have my paintings and to have my, my uh, art as a very necessary release. 
Well, I think all of this kind of says a lot about you as a person, your character and your your hustle and your work ethic and your survivor spirit. Because for many people, having been through what you've been through early on in your career, um, and by the signs of it, you know, some of the hurdles with this record as well, that would have been the end for them. You know, it would have been too much. It would have been too too much to overcome. It would have been too painful a, a setback, and they would have just given up. It would just that would have been the end of it. But it, that says a lot about you as a person um, that you found strength and lessons in all of these things in order to make you stronger moving forward. Whether it's setting up your own label or this record taking longer than you'd hoped led to you then pursuing visual art and painting, which is now a new a new thing to add to your long list of annoying talents. <laughs> well, I know. I, yeah, annoying is definitely a word that can be used about me sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I appreciate those uh, the, those kind words, and um, you know, I really hope that I really hope that this record can be an inspiration to other people who might not who might not necessarily have that um, perseverance in themselves to to maybe be able to look to this story and look to this record, and if if they in- enjoy this record and if they like the music of this record you know having them know that just getting it out to the world was a the fight of my life basically um you know up to can we talk about that for a second well you know for a few minutes and what what Um, were the uh what the obstacles you know basically i i plan on telling this story in a very detailed thought out manner at some point i'm not quite there yet I'm still in I'm still in I'm okay. still in the sorting it okay, out without fine. um without being uh No that's cool. I get it. I hear you want to you want to work on your diplomatic version before you start saying anything. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I am working on my diplomatic version of of this part of my life and I I'm not quite prepared yet and that's that's part of healing is knowing when you are not ready to talk about something yet. But um, that's a mistake I make all too often, man. I'm the worst for it. I never learn. I just fucking open my mouth and out it comes and I've just put my foot in my mouth one more time and offended oh, half of a some too. country somewhere. I do it all the time and I never learn. So uh you know, wise thing. Me too. That's why I'm that's why I've learned and especially with this uh with this story. It's a delicate one. But Okay. But I mean the gist is the gist is just that a lot of promises uh, were made, and I had some very uh, sexist bullshit and some really bizarre, um, hmm. annoying shit happen when it comes to getting this record out. And uh, yeah, but here I am. It's about to be out, and. All of that happened for a reason, which I'm very, very, very comfortable saying that now. I think a year ago, I was not in a not in a place where I would say like this is happening for a reason. Um, even though the whole time I knew, you know, but like until you've seen the light. Um, but from where I'm at now, I am as annoying as it is to say. I am still. I'm. I'm grateful for the. Uh, for the pushback that I had on getting the prize out there because like I said, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done all of the art and I wouldn't have doubled down and I wouldn't have strawberry moon records right now. I wouldn't have a lot of things I'm very proud of in this moment. So it all works out. hundred percent. Well, amen to that, man. Yeah. Well, and I totally echo everything you said and i hope that we'll get that story at some point because i'm going to be looking out for the diplomatic version <laughs> well it'll be coming in the book 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Hey, it worked out okay for me, man. Just don't name everybody my name like I did. <laughs> Make that mistake. Right. We got to talk about the price because it is coming out this week on January the 12th. January 12th. The new album, The Prize by Hannah Wickland fucking rocks take it from me you need to get yourself a copy not only does it sound amazing it looks amazing as well with hand-painted covers courtesy of hannah herself it is available to pre-order if you can't wait till friday you can get it from hannahwickland.com right now i'll put a link in the show notes it is amazing it is going to be the record that you need to hear to kick off 2024 in style um you can also check out hannah's monstrous life schedule on the website as well she's going everywhere Literally, so get to a show. She's fucking awesome. Live, I'm going to be there at the Globe in Cardiff. Um, you can also, if you want to stay up with everything, that, uh, stay up to date with everything that she's doing. You can also follow her on Instagram at Hannah Wickland. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. And as always, support independent artists like Hannah by getting out and buying a ticket, buying a record, and showing support and showing some love. And on that note, Hannah, I want to say thank you so much for coming on chatting with me today. It's been fascinating to, to hear about your story. I wish you nothing but success. I can't wait to watch everything unfold the rest of this year. Please don't stop what you're doing. I know that you won't. Best wishes with the album. Best wishes with the tour. And I will see you in Cardiff. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you in person. <laughs> be, be careful what you wish for, dude. <laughs> well, Hannah, thank you so much. My best wishes with everything. And I, yeah, I will see you soon. Thanks for, thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much. See ya. Happy New Year. Bye. Hannah Wickland. Round of applause for her, guys. What an awesome dude. What an awesome artist. What an example to all of us. And what a fucking album. Man, I'm not, I'm not just saying this. This isn't some like podcast promo bullshit the album fucking rocks man and i seriously genuinely do love hell in the hallway you need to go and check out that bad boy on spotify right now and then go and buy a copy because hannah is as independent as they come you know she's running her own label self-managing herself and then she's getting in the fucking van and driving all the way across america and back doing the shows so show some love guys you know it costs you less than it costs to buy a fucking round of coffees or something by uh, buying her album and directly supporting somebody who is 100 independent and also fucking awesome so what better cause to support than that as I said, the first place to stop is either on her Instagram page or her website at Hannah Wickland, which is Hannah spelled the usual way. Wickland is W-I-C-K-L-U-N-D. That's dot com. And it's Hannah Wickland on um, Instagram and all of the other socials as well. Do grab yourself a ticket to one of her concerts because she's fucking killer in concert. And I'll be there at the one in Cardiff, like I said. And get on board because this is an artist I, who I, can, I just know is going to go from, from strength to strength and height to height. So, so get on board now, man. For those of you that are already on board, the Hannah Wickland tsunami that's coming, um, I hope that was an interesting insight into like some of her process and background and the background to the album and everything like that. For those of you that have not yet discovered the awesomeness that is Hannah Wickland, I hope this was a, a, a worthwhile introduction for you now to go and do a deep dive. And as always, before I sign off here, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast because we are stepping it up a gear this year and there's going to be loads, loads more guests confirmed to come on. And of course, we will be moving over to video. So not only do you get my irritating voice, you get to look at my irritating mug as well. What's not to love? See, if you listen to this on Apple or Spotify or CastBox or wherever the fuck you listen to it, (laughs) click on the follow, click on the subscribe, click on the share, whatever you got to do. It's also available on YouTube. So go and give us some clicks over there. And uh, I will see you next week with another awesome episode. You know the drill. Look after yourself. Look after each other. And I'll see you next week. Love ya.